Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Kitubot, daf Kof Bet, page 112. It is our last daf of Masachet Kitubot. I'm astounded kind of that we've made it here so fast. It feels, I guess, after Yavamot, it kind of moved in a different kind of way for me. Um, I want to note that we are starting the Durham tomorrow, and we will have several days of Nadaram before we have our Siyum for Masachet Ketubot in the interest of convenience by meeting on a Sunday. So on Sunday, October 30th, October 31st, whichever day is Sunday, we're meeting at 5 p.m. Israel time, 11 a.m. on the Eastern Seaboard, um, and accordingly, other places in the world. We have a special guest speaker, um, Rabbi Menachem Cooperman, and we look forward to seeing you to close out this both rich and I think for many people in many ways troubling um, and edifying Masachet. It's been quite a ride, I think. Is that a fair thing to say, Yerdina? I like this Masachet. It was good. I mean, yeah, it had its fair share of, you know, problematic passages. But I, I just thought it was like it has a real uh breath to it like there's just so much in it on so many different topics right um, i i really get why people use this as like the classic masachet. i agree i agree and it touches on so many different areas that we ourselves will continue to touch on as we go through future masachet, including for that matter nadarim i'm going to start at the daf, the top of the daf there's a lot of little you know we've noted in the past that sometimes at the end of masachet they kind of like clean up, right? Like, oh, there's a few odds and ends that we need to include in this Masachet. So this daf is one one of those, right? There's a lot of little stories. They're talking about the land of Israel. They're nice little stories, um, but it's not exactly, you know, a meaty sugya right at the end. Um, I guess that would be impractical. Rabbi Chelbel, Rabbi Avirav, Rabbi Yossi Barchanina, Iklu Lahahu Atra. So the Gemara tells the story of how these three rabbis happen to be in a certain place. It doesn't tell us exactly what the place is. So they say that there is a, the people who lived there in that place where they were, the locals, they brought the sages a peach that was huge. It was as large as an ilpas. An ilpas is a, a stew pot, which I guess is, I don't know, a soup pot, you know, a, a crock pot, that kind of size, right? A crock pot of kfar hino. This, that's a real place with a, with a name. And so the Gemara wants to know, So this, how large is it really? You know, you know, if you've got a specific measure to a specific locale, it should be easy enough to determine what that is. And the Gemara answers, it was the, it has, it held the volume of five sa'a. Uh, by contrast, right, the minimum mikvah size, is, let's say, is forty sa'a. It's a large pot. And what they did with this large stew, I'm sorry, the large peach, rather, they ate one-third of it, and they made hefker one-third of it, right, so that they declared it ownerless, which meant that other people could come and partake, and then they gave a third of it to their animals. I, I don't know which animals are doing well to eat peaches, but okay, fine. Lishana, the next year, right, a year later, so the next year, Rebelezer was in that same place, and they brought a peach before him. And then, Naktu Bidei, he held it in his hand, Va'amar, Eretz Pri Lemlecha Meira'at Yoshveva. He held it in his hand, meaning it was small enough. It didn't require a, it wasn't the size of a big soup pot. He holds it in his hand, and he says, you know, basically, 
pointing out the fact that this has, you know, it's a vastly different scale of fruit. He says, um, this verse from Psalms from Tehillim Kuf Zion 107, a fruitful land into a salt waste from the wickedness of those who dwell there. Meaning the implication is that all the people doing sins in the land of Israel shrunk the produce. And I feel like, you know, honey, I shrunk the produce type of thing, right, is a whole new narrative. And it's really a critique of the people living in this place, um, which is not named, right? Why is this place not named? So that nobody can know where were they so bad that their fruit, that their peach shrunk the following year. Um, it's kind of preserving, I don't know what, their honor by by not naming it and then not having, not singling it out as a place of sinners. Next, meaning, and literally next, we're on to a new story. Although, interestingly enough, it's still talking about the size of fruit. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Ikra Legavla. So Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi was in Gavla. This is a named place. It's in the Golan. So he saw that there were clusters of vines and they were huge. They were standing, they were as large as calves, meaning baby cows, right? So he said to the people who live there in Gavla, you have cows, you have baby cows, calves that are standing between the grapevines. Aren't you worried that they're going to do damage? I mean, like, hello? And they say, no, 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 they're not cows. They're not calves. Those are the clusters of the grapes. Meaning, again, I'm reminded anytime we're going to talk about large grapes, we're going to be reminded of the Miraglim, the spies, and their reports from the land of Israel and the, the tremendous fruit there, right? Amar, Eretz, Eretz, Hechnisi, Perutaich. So he says then, land, land oh, land. Right, he's it's an exclamation. Gather in your fruit. Uh, he says, Who are you who are you producing this fruit for? This glorious fruit for the non-Jews who stand over us in our sins? Meaning, don't produce such beautiful large fruit, he's basically saying to the land of Israel, which I also find to be a kind of like on the one hand, it's very poetic. And beautiful. And on the other hand, like, really? What? I'm sorry. Like, what is your concern that that um, the land is producing, quote, for the non-Jews? And again, we're talking here about there's like this very quiet allusion to the geopolitical drama going on in the land of Israel at this time. So again, it's the same construction, right? The following year, Rebichia was in that same place. And then he saw that there were clusters and they were as large as goats, meaning they were smaller than the calves of the year before. Amar izim ben hagfanim, he says, are there goats standing amongst the grapes, amongst the vines? zil lot avidlan He says, do not, they say to him, go away. Do not do what your, what your friend, what your colleague has done, meaning the curse from Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi that says, oi, we should not have such large fruit. <laughs> Excuse me. The claim is that it shrunk the fruit, and that that you know, in in fact, his his plea or his, you know, the claim that this that this should not be that there should not be such bountiful fruit in the land of Israel when people are cursing or they're non-Jews in um you know over the Jewish population. He says 
that happened. The fruit shrunk from the one year to the next, from calves to, to goats. And they tell Rabbi Chia to not talk, right? He's not allowed to continue his conversation. He should not continue to exclaim for fear that it would be even worse. Um, okay, I'm actually going to stop here. You're Dan and hand it off to you. I just want to note that the next part of the Gemara does still continue with the blessings of Israel by the measurement of the produce and, in fact, how fertile the land is. Um, and this is where it goes on for, for quite a bit. I know you're going to take the end of the daf, um, but for now, that's, you know, there's this kind of like awe and concern about the, the size of the produce. I, I mean, it's a beautifully written daf, and I think really describes sort of this love of Eretz Yisrael. And I, I mentioned this yesterday. It's not just like a love of Eretz Yisrael as a place. Like, you know, we see that there's also a lot of respect for Babel as a place. But it really is a depiction of like, what is the beauty of the land itself? Like the emphasis is on Eretz, right? Like it's really what's beautiful about the land. Um, and I, I, I'm sorry, I, I forgot one little thing. I'm not going to read it inside in the interest of time. But I just want to note that Rav Chista specifically asks, why is the land of Israel um, compared to a deer, to a tzvi, right? And this is, I think, a, a common, beautiful motif. And the Gemara here says that, the same way that the deer, this it's a kind of a, a little bit of a tricky um, comparison is that once a deer has been skinned, it cannot contain its meat. The skin cannot contain the meat. So uh, it's something about the leanness of the deer. So the land of Israel cannot contain its fruit once it has been picked because that is how much there is. Uh, or perhaps alternatively, the deer is faster, swifter than all other animals. And in that way, Eretz Israel is also faster, swifter to ripen all of its fruit than other, you know, the countries of the west, rest of the world. And that, I mean, I think you see it in art all the time, right? This idea of the land of Israel being akin to a deer. All right. I'm going to move on now to the end of uh, the Gemara. And um, you, we're going to start with, we had started off this whole discussion or a lot of this discussion about the beauty of Eretz Yisrael or the mitzvah of moving to Eretz Yisrael with this, you know, uh, that we'd seen that Rabbi Zera wanted to actually move, even though his his teacher, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda, did not think that one should move to Eretz Yisrael. And so now it talks about it in a very fitting way. It sort of concludes with like, well, what actually happened when he went to Eretz Yisrael? And this is a very famous story about Rabbi Zera. Rabbi Zera, ki habi Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Zera was going up to the land of Israel. He could not find a ferry to basically like cross the river, right? To, right? To cross. So he held onto a rope and he crosses, he walks across some type of, you know, some, the, some of the Mepharshim say it was like a piece of wood, but he holds onto some rope or maybe he swung across something like that. But the point is, it's not a conventional way of crossing a river, right? He didn't use a boat. So a certain Suduki comes. Remember the Sadducees were always sort of bothering uh, Chazal. And he says, Ama Paziza. Right, like you impetuous people, right, who put your mouth before your ears, right? So, what he means by this is, is that essentially, you know, you, um, some of them have heard him explain here that, you know, when, when we were given the Torah, it says, Nasev and Nishma, right, we'll do and then we'll hear. So, this is sort of the same things, right? That he, like, he, he's rushing, he's hurrying to do something even before he knows exactly what, what it is that he's getting himself into. Um, Marley, Rabbi Zera says to him, 
But I think this is beautiful what he replies. He says, the place the Moshe and Aaron didn't merit to come to. Who says that I'll merit to enter it? In other words, his point is he's rushing to do it, but he says, it's no guarantee I'll actually get to go in. Like our two biggest leaders, Moshe and Aaron, they didn't get to go in. So even though I'm like looking at it, I can see it. All I have to do is cross this river, right? Um, I, I don't know that I'm actually going to get to go. So I, I'm rushing so that I actually get Zohar to do it. And I think it's a very beautiful way for Rabbi Zayar. And to me, at least it resonates in a modern way of like recognizing, right? Not everybody's been Zohar to actually, not everybody's merited to actually get into Israel. Um, and I think when you put in the context of sort of modern day Israel, Rabbi Zayar's words really are very meaningful. Then the Gemara goes on to express other ways that the Amorayim show their love for Eretz Yisrael. Um, um, Rabbi Abba Menashek fades Akko. Rabbi Abba would kiss the stones of uh, of Akko. Rabbi Chanina mitaken mitkale. Rabbi Chanina would attend to the obstacles, meaning there were uneven roads in in Eretz Yisrael, and uh, he would. Uh, he would remove them on the road, right? Because that was his way of making sure that people wouldn't say anything bad, that the roads were bad. Rabbi Ami, Rabbi Asi, Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi, Kaime Mishme Lutula Umitula Lishimsha. They would stand up in the middle of their, while they were studying Torah and move from sunlight to shade in the summertime and from shade to sunlight in, uh, you know, maybe when it was winter. So again, they would do this uh, because they didn't want anyone to say anything disparaging about the winter or about the weather there. So in other words, if they saw it was sunny and it was the summer, they'd move to the shade. So you before like preempting till you move till you till you actually got uncomfortable. Rabbi Chia Barganda Gandar Ba'afra. So Rabbi Chia Barganda would roll in the dust of the land. Right. And so they quote here a pasuk from Tehillim chapter 102, verse 15. Um, uh, that says, uh, right, that your your servants have cherished her stones and favored her dust. And this is actually the source for uh, the custom that some people have, that even if you're buried not in uh, Eretz Yisrael, that they put a little bit of dirt from Eretz Yisrael uh, on that grave. So he would even roll in the dirt itself. And then finally, the Gemara is going to discuss, uh, you know, as much as they discuss how great, Eretz Yisrael will be once the Mashiach comes. It makes the following assessment, which is a little bit scary. I'm a Rabbi Zera, I'm a Rabbi Yirmiya Bar Abba. So Rabbi Zera says the following thing. Dor Sheben David Ba, the generation in which the Mashiach will come, right? That's Ben David. Kategoria Bitamidei Chachamim. It will have, the, like in English, this would be the vilification of Torah scholars. In other words, there will be many, many people who basically attack Torah, and Torah scholars will, will suffer and will be punished because of this, okay? Ki amrite kamei de Shmuel Amar. When Rabbi Zera said this in front of Shmuel, he said, right, Shmuel said, seruf achir seruf, smelting after smelting. In other words, harsh decrees that will hurt Jews followed by more harsh decrees. Shanamar, and here they quote a pasuk from Yeshayahu, chapter 6, verse 13, and when there is yet a tenth of it, it will again be purged. Okay? 
so in other words, it, it will be, even if there's a little bit of something, it'll, it'll come out again. Tani Rabbi Yosef, so Rabbi Yosef taught in a brisa, right? Bizazuze u bizazuze divazuze, plunderers and plunderers and plunderers, right? That even if you survive the first plundering, you'll be plundered again and then plundered again. And then finally, the Gemara obviously doesn't want to end on that note, but the point here of the section is to say the times that bring about Mashiach are not actually going to be pleasant for people. Amar Rabichia Barashi Amarav Rabichia Barashi says in the name of Rav. All the barren trees that are in Eretz Yisrael are destined to bear fruit. And so here they conclude by quoting a pasuk from Yoel, chapter 2, verse 22, uh, that says uh, that for the tree has borne its fruit, the fig tree and the grapevine have yielded, uh, have yielded their wealth. And so what the Gemara explains is because the second half is specifically mentions the fig tree, that actually what that first half has to be is a tree that doesn't actually bear fruit. And that the miracle of the time of Mashiach will be um, that even trees that don't normally bear fruit will begin to bear fruit. And so concludes, I think, a beautiful, beautiful ending of Ketubah. I just want to end one thing. I was really thinking a lot before, you know, we really ended what is it, like, why did the Gemara end with this very, very vivid description about Eretz Yisrael? And so I, this may be like too lofty or too out there. And Anne, I actually didn't tell you this before. So I'm going to surprise Anne with this and hear what she has to say about it. But I was thinking about sort of the relationship. The idea of the ketubah is sort of this way of protecting the woman within marriage and to make the husband basically feel responsible for her, right? That they shouldn't get divorced too quickly, that he should want to take care of her. And a lot of what this Masecha dealt with was sort of like, what's the basis of that relationship supposed to be like, right? What is what is a wife supposed to bring to marriage? What is a husband supposed to bring to marriage? I, to me, in a way, I think this ending of sort of like what the land of Israel actually gives us as a people, I think is kind of symbolic in a way of like the marriage, like we say that in a way, B'nai Israel are like married to God. And so I think that's like a physical manifestation, like we see what God gives us in that relationship by the beauty and by everything that this land can actually give us. So that's like my sort of out there theory of like so why it, maybe it ends with this. But if I understand it, you, if I understand you correctly, you're saying that the land of Israel is God's ketubah for the Jewish people. Kind of in a way. Yes. It's like his guarantee of how he takes care of us because he put us in such a land that that has the potential to be so fruitful and 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 so beautiful. I think that's a beautiful idea. I, I think it's drash, but I think it's lovely, oh, yeah. especially it's we, right. we want to not shot, but I just but like no, but we keep asking this preparing. question of we keep asking these questions of the configuration of the Gemara and how did they what were the organizing principles when they're not obvious? And I think that this is as beautiful and as profound an explanation as any, and I like it. Oh, I'm glad you like it because I didn't tell you ahead of time. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I like true. to surprise Anne. Join us for the CUM on Sunday. Yes, please join us. We have a wonderful speaker, um, and hopefully uh, it'll be great. And on to Masachat Nizarim tomorrow. That's our top discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcasts. Come talk to us on the, our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this daf and Masachat Ketubot. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.
Thank you.